Welcome to Write That Down, hosted by Nate Ulrich and myself, Jacob Novak. This is a podcast where two everyday creative people try to break through the noise and do creative things. This week, we welcome Evan Quinter back to the podcast so that we can discuss his thoughts on our previous episode on creative competition. Then, we dive into our second session of Project Therapy, where we talk to each other through ideas that we're trying to get off the ground. So, let's get into it. Now, joining us for, and I believe this is true, the first time ever, is our good friend, Evan Quinter. Is that right? Wait, wait, wait. Stop the press. Did you forget episode seven? Uh, yes. The iconic episode seven? Episode oh, seven? I guess you were on that. And you have written a couple emails. Oof. And you sent in that voice memo one you time. You know, it is a tough start to come back and to be disrespected like this on the first date. <laughs> Evan, you know you know who you are? Who am I? You are employee of the year. <laughs> Write that down podcast. All right. We're honored to give you this uh, this prize, and um, we want to speak. Not even not even employee of the month. You've just you've just gotten rid of all twelve of those and just made employee of the year. Yeah. Um, really, just leaving out my chance for September, October, November, December. Now I don't even have a shot. No shot. You okay. know, I I would like to thank. Um, you know <laughs> straight to the just, thank yous you know just like straight to the thank yous um i'd really like to thank miss miss mr rogers for making such, such a great neighborhood oh yeah um and i'd really like pull. to th- yeah really what what like an out of left field pull that was um <laughs> you know and i'd like to thank write that down you know i'm hoping that this employee of the year will move up soon to like an executive producer credit hopefully soon but you know we'll see c-suite yeah (laughs) c-suite well evan we thought we'd invite you on since you wrote us such an in-depth email for it was a few weeks ago at this point the creative competition uh episode uh you wrote to us all about uh something that you had read about mimetic desire uh, what you didn't hear in that episode last week when I read your email is how many times it took me to read the word mimetic. <laughs> uh, it was it was real bad. But uh, yeah, so I guess just to, to hop into it, do you have any off-the-cuff thoughts about just the creative competition and, and what you what made you, you know, think of those sources? So many. I've I have so many thoughts on the subject. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for bringing me in. Um, yeah. So maybe just a quick recap. Um, so I found out about mimetic desire through Luke Burgess. Wait, can you tell us what that is? Uh, sure. So mimetic desire um, is uh, is an idea originally proposed by Rene Girard, who is um, a philosopher and uh, professor of many things, but in Mimetic Desire, he states essentially that humans derive what they want to do in life and their purpose from what we see from others. So that's where the Mimetic comes from, like it's a form of imitation and mimicry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, from not... From my knowledge, and let's just put it right out the bat, I am no expert. <laughs> you are the expert. <laughs> um, 
You have to be the expert. We were the comm majors. You were the hard science. You have to be the expert here. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, I do. I do know everything about mimetic desire. Write that right. down as official science correspondent, Evan Quinter. <laughs> Wait, don't joke. I would love that official title. science. Okay. <laughs> and the the little Chiron comes up. Oh my god! I would put that on my LinkedIn so fast. You have no idea. Um, <laughs> um, no, I don't know. I mean. You know, if you see, um, you know, if I'm a fish and I see a fish in the wild that's like eating some pretty good, um, what, what a fish, <laughs> fish eat grass. Well, good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> grass. <laughs> Filet mignon. <laughs> I would say, oh, I would also like to go eat that. So, um, all right. So in your knowledge that, uh, uh it's probably not the case. I would <laughs> I would say probably not. Um, yeah, okay. I would say it's okay. especially for this conversation, it would work best just to keep it between us, um, Homo sapiens. Yeah. All right. All right. We'll keep it there then. Um, and so mimetic desire then goes into. Um, so it starts in us like deriving our desires and our purposes from this, um, but then it goes into competition and rivalry, because we see. Um, these idols doing something and then we all kind of start to merge to do that same purpose and so we start to fight mm -hmm. over these things and um and so he postulates that um in a society that a society cannot exist if this is true right there can be no peace if what we want to um what we want to achieve in life is all moving towards the same thing so the way to achieve peace then is through scapegoating. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, okay. And so then uh, like this, like anger and this rivalry that we feel um, can just be pushed off onto uh, a different group and we can say, Oh good. Well, it's not my fault. Then it's clearly whoever the, the, the scapegoat at the time is. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's where this comes in from. And Luke Burgess um, wrote a book about this called Wanting. Um, and he actually came into the bookstore and signed it because um, he lives in D.C. So mm, nice. um, I wasn't there, but I but oh, I heard well. it was fun. Yeah, I know. <laughs> really, <laughs> really played up that story like I was there. Interesting. So uh, um, I'm just trying to I'm trying to think back a couple weeks now. So we were talking about creative competition right and and how to how it uh, creates an, an environment that could be very productive uh and and we also talked about the sort of the downfalls of it and so in in your response and, and in your your then your thoughts you know um do you find that do you have any idea whether or not you know we can be more productive with that external push or is this again going into that conversation of that intrinsic motivation versus you know, what is the other word? Extrinsic. <laughs> intrinsic <laughs> versus extrinsic. Where are we motivated? Um, no, absolutely. Um, and I know that I am maybe not a full believer in in this, especially when it gets when like someone wants to take it to a deep like human nature. Um, yeah. Because. No, I don't believe that we all want the same things, and I don't have a rivalry against my friends when they achieve great things. But, but as a human, 
but as a human, do you? Can you can you stop that? I don't know animalistic urge to, to of your brain to like are you, do you have control over that? I don't know. I mean, like Renee would would I guess then say uh, yes, you can, but you need to find a scapegoat to push all that off onto. Um, so ultimately, it's our nature to find the scapegoat, and we I mean we can look past, through history, and that's obviously the case. That's so. Is there an alternative? Uh, there is, and this is where Luke Luke comes in, um, and um, I don't want to harp on him because he seems like a nice guy. I just don't believe um, in the majority of what he was mm-hmm. writing. But the one really good thing that I think that like comes comes out then is that he says that this mimetic desire um, should be imagined as the winds of of your sailboat, right? So mm-hmm. if your sailboat is purpose along the journey of life, we all have our own sailboat, and then mimetic desire should be used as a way to kind of push and pull us and direct us towards that goal. Um, so we need to find the balance between us running running a ship and crashing into each other and using mm-hmm. this mimetic desire to help each other find our purposes. But there's a third variable, and that is the choppiness of the sea. You're right. And, and gale wind forces and hurricanes. Oh, yeah. And all of that. But But in that metaphor... We all, although we may all have the same boat and we start at different starting points in life, Mm -hmm. right? And we choose the path that we choose. That's, there's still the life variable of, you never know when something's going to happen that will affect me or something's going to happen that will affect somebody else. And as humans, we don't all act the same when those challenges arise. Yeah. And so isn't that, isn't that the flaw of, of that? of that response yeah i mean especially like if you know if you see if you see someone create something that is um wonderful but that is so maybe akin to what you make um Uh you know does that then infringe upon what you would like to do does that infringe upon your identity and then kind of going Uh back to what you were saying is like well how does each one of us respond to that and are we right always gonna then go to like an area of conflict i don't know i don't know no i mean i feel like this actually kind of ties back into our original conversation from episode seven of write that down featuring evan quinter which was originality Mm -hmm. uh and so yeah yeah i feel like i mean what my mind goes to is you know you talk about mimetic desire of being something where you know, you see someone else's work, and so then you just kind of either consciously or subconsciously take that in and, and allow that to influence your work. Uh, I feel like that idea of mimetic desire being the thing pushing the boats uh, and, you know, all of us just kind of gradually, you know, pushing towards the same goal is the idea of originality where it's, you know, nothing is truly original, but you can take bits and pieces of inspiration uh, and then allow your own experiences uh, or other insights of, I don't want to do this thing that someone else did to create something new out of that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's interesting yeah. that it, it kind of, I feel like it kind of ties into what we had talked about before with you. Yeah. How do you, how do you find originality then in this world that is so... Um, consumed by imitation and mimicry of each other and I think you're right the originality is coming from you and your experiences 
and yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But mostly in a, in the creative field, right? Yeah. So w- this is a vastly different conversation if we're talking about trying to mimic or replicate studies, right? Which is, I think it's it's so odd that you know we try to do that, and that's how we know if something is scientifically correct if we can continue to replicate with the same results, right? But then when it comes to some creative work, whether that's art or whatever, it's right, it's vastly different. It's it's like the polar opposite. I think that's that's super. You cool. want to do something totally different. You you don't want to repeat. Yep. Yeah. But that's yeah. also not the case because how many times did we all sing in in choir? Did we sing uh, a not a cover but a different rendition of something that is completely artistic at different levels and yet it is based off of someone else's work i just think this is a fascinating Mm. path that you know to talk about originality and then alterations and stuff like that and renditions i think that and and of course when we were talking about your work your music Mm. work i mean that's exactly what you were doing we asked you these questions of do you do you think your work is uh does it hold meaning that you're not creating it from scratch right yeah it's all it's all um it's all very very circular um yeah and to me when it goes into well okay so there would be a difference then right in between doing fully original work and doing things that are renditions or um just different versions of other people's things um Mm when it's something that is fully original, I personally had a little, um, maybe like existential, like worry moment in thinking that, well, if everything that I desire, is not really from myself, but from others, right. Then is it really original? I don't Ooh. know. See, I mean, I, and I've, I feel that, you know, that's something that I feel every day. But also, I just think of, you know, I feel like we should, we should try this ex- experiment. I mean, I don't know how we would do this, but I feel like if, say, you're going to do something like uh, direct a movie, direct and edit a movie or something, mm-hmm. and you have two directors mm-hmm. who come in with the same exact script, I feel like there's a more than likely chance that you're going to have different movies. I mean, oh, obviously absolutely. the 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 story is going to be the same, but the tone and the shots and just the you know the the vibe that you get from the movie. I mean, there's the whole we had a whole class, uh, or not a whole class, but in a class in, in college, uh, we had this project where we needed to just take something, take a work that that existed, and transform it into like something else. And so I went the direction of, you know, mm-hmm. editing a, a trailer for something that is just the complete opposite. Uh, so my project is actually, it should still be public on my YouTube. I took a bunch of scenes from the movie Rugrats or the show Rugrats plus Rugrats in Paris uh, and Rugrats the movie. Uh, and I cut a trailer for a, a fake movie called Reptar and Ice the Reckoning. Uh, and it just <laughs> basically made... Rugrats seem like a, a Godzilla movie with Reptar uh-huh. as Godzilla. And it was so much fun, but it's, it's so wildly different from the source material. And mm-hmm. so I think it's just, you know, it's finding that perspective. And I, I feel like we will intrinsically yeah. uh, create something that is at least somewhat unique, you know? Mm-hmm. 
maybe not as much right, as we would like, right. but it's it's at least your version of something. Right. Right. Yeah. And 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 then to take that as like even a notch down, one of the projects that I had to do was or no, I teach us at work actually, is you know, when we're teaching videography and setting the tone and stuff, we have two two sets uh for po- it's actually for podcasts, not even for videography. We have two sets of background music and we have the podcast play with one um one music bed and then we just pull that out and put another one in and the the story is exactly the same but yeah. when you close your eyes and envision or when you're in that story when you're listening to it vastly different so it's fascinating and um i'm trying to figure out how we're, we're gonna loop that back around to the original conversation <laughs> but i i think uh, uh, you know the tangents that we get on with evan fantastic yes yeah yeah Level. sorry about that <laughs> It's hard to to stay on the topic. It's good. Did you, did you have any other like closing or wrapping up statements or anything that you wanted to add in, uh, to bring us back around? Um, yeah, maybe just like, um, two things in just that, uh, with creative competition, if, if there are those feelings of, um, rivalry or, um, a conflict with each other that are coming in, um, I think what, Jacob is saying is really true in that like each person is going to bring their experience and own creative spot and everything. So you don't really have to feel that competition, even if it is the same show and script, each person is going to bring something different. Um, and the other thing is, you know, like, even if I may not fully understand or agree with it yet, I do encourage people to go check out Luke, Luke Burgess and Renee Jord. If you just look up um, mimetic, um, mimetic, wow. Desire. Thank you. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> now that we've been talking about Teamwork, it. Teamwork, baby. Yeah. Teamwork. Um, but there are some great uh, YouTube videos on it um, and they're all very well, well made. So, yeah. Nice. Thanks for sharing. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Oh, my pleasure. Well, thank you, Evan. That was awesome. Great way to start off the show. Uh, but what we're really here for is uh project therapy we had a project therapy previously i can't remember it was in the early early couple weeks it was of episode eight it was the week show. after episode evan eight. came on the week right after evan so we we planned this out perfectly we we, we tend to do this on purpose um <laughs> but we thought it would be great right jacob we thought it would be great to have evan on for a project therapy we know that he's always doing you know wonderful things uh and it's a great way for us to catch up with him uh and but i think i think Really, to be fair, we should start off with either myself or you. And I think we all know you are so far this week the most interesting person uh, to start off. So, <laughs> this is true. so Jacob, this can week. you give us an update on any projects? Oh yeah, because most of the other weeks it's me. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> can you give us uh, updates on any projects? Tell us where you're at, what you're working on, um, and everything else that we did in project therapy. Yeah, so uh, I, I, this week, the project that I wanted to talk about mostly is actually relating back to the goals that Nate and I had set uh, back in. Let me just look this up. This was episode 24, uh, The Comfort Zone. And Nate and I just set goals of how we wanted to break out of our comfort zones with just projects making some progress by the end of the year, basically. And so my goal was basically... You know, I deal a lot with the comedy or dramedy genres and things like that. Uh, and so far, I mean, Wyman was a film, but it was 40 minutes. 
and Loser is the the other project that I talked about last time on Project Therapy. That's a series, and I have other series ideas and things like that. I wanted to do a feature-length film, which means at least around 90 pages, kind of, um, of script writing, uh, and do it in a genre that I really like to watch but have no experience in actually writing, which is kind of a neo-noir thriller maybe kind of Western thing uh, with movies like Hell or High Water, No Country for Old Men, uh, In Bruges, uh, which I didn't bring up last time, but that's a great movie that I feel like no one else has heard of. Uh, Love it, In Bruges. Um, Stars Colin Farrell and the guy who played Bad-Eye Moody in Harry Potter. I know Um, who you're talking about. Sounds like a type of cheese. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Oh, Ray Fiennes is also uh, in it, so pretty cool cast. The whole Harry Potter cast just comes back for a Western. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Nate's giving me a look. Ray Fiennes is the guy who played Voldemort. Voldemort, Voldemort, (laughs) Voldemort. That's an old school YouTube reference. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But so basically I want to do that kind of neo-noir thriller kind of thing. And... In my head, I thought it, it might be interesting instead of doing like a Western neo noir thriller thing, I really stick to my roots and do like a neo Midwestern. Uh, <laughs> and just like, I feel like that's, that's you know, a neo noir Western has a vibe, and I feel like a Midwestern is a different vibe and something that we don't see too often in that kind of thing. Usually, if it's a Midwest thing. It's going to be more yeah. of like the coming of age, you know, teen in the romantic comedy or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's what I, I had in mind. And I actually I pulled out my cork board that I still haven't hung up because I have a new one that I need to hang up. But I need to build my bookcase before I can put that cork board up. It's a whole thing. Um, <laughs> but so I, I had this project that I was looking at uh, that I wrote uh, down on these note cards like. A year ago probably at this point and that kind of I think fits what I'm trying to do uh, and so just to get into it briefly and, and you guys can just give me your thoughts or if you think it's a good idea and things like that just off the bat uh, the working title is Dark County there is a member of my family who lives in a place and he said oh it's Dark County and I thought that was so on the nose funny that I wrote it down hmm. Uh but that has no bearing place. on the story. That's just a working. That's just like the the project title. Sorry, what did you say, Nate? I, I just thought it was funny. You said I have a family member who lives in a place who is a noun called who is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who lives in a pineapple under the sea. Um. No. Okay. Okay. Dark County. Okay, and that's the title. Yeah, that's just the working title. Um, okay. Just okay. so that I know in my head what I'm thinking of, uh, and so the gist of it is that it's set in a small Midwestern town uh, and a kind of, on the surface level, seems like a a coming-of-age kind of thing where it's, you know, someone in their 20s going back to their hometown after being in the city. Uh, But it has Mm -hmm. this, like, overlaying scenario or underlying scenario where they were working in the city and then got caught up in a bunch of, like, bad stuff. Mm -hmm whether it's hitman or like gangs or drug smuggling or I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of it is that there's a job that I applied to one time where I was looking at 
the uh, Indeed employee reviews. And there is one employee review that was like, yeah, there's some like illegal activity going on. Uh, and did you show that to me? I think I did. Uh, yeah, you and did. It was I just remember that. I was so like, weird <laughs> because, you know, what my mind immediately goes to is like shoving, you know, bags of heroin into hard drives or something and then shipping them out. But it was probably just like not paying overtime or something like that is really what it was. <laughs> um, but so someone gets caught up in, in something like that, like they, yeah. they start a job, but you know, get caught up in things that they weren't expecting. And so, uh, my thought is that the person will call him Jeff G O G E O F F. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. G off. uh, Yeah. G off. Um, and so they, uh, you know, get caught up in this job and then they go to hide out back in their Midwestern hometown. And that's basically where the movie starts is post things going wrong. And you're not quite sure what's going Uh. wrong and where things are but then uh as he's you know hiding out or going to these other you know old haunts and things like that you start to learn more about what was going on and you know the people who are coming after him in that midwestern hometown that's kind of the the gist of what i was Mm -hmm. looking at uh i have some other specific beats in mind like in those neo-western noir things there's always the trope of uh the diner that they're sitting in uh, and things like that. Like there's a specific diner scene mm-hmm. in Hell or High Water that I'm thinking about. Pulp Fiction, uh, the diner, of yeah, course. Classic. Uh, and I thought of uh, a specific example from my hometown. Uh, this restaurant isn't there anymore. They were there for like two years. Uh, but there is a restaurant that was like half Italian, half Mexican. And so I want to do like nice. one of those like chain restaurant mashups that's like just kind of kind of mm-hmm. visually not off-putting but weird and distinct uh mm. and things like that and just playing off of those tropes yeah. and uh just a kind of a different kind of homecoming story as this person is coming back and maybe you know questions of identity of you know this is who I was leaving this hometown and now I'm coming back like you know where where mm-hmm. did I go wrong and things like that um mm. so that's kind of the the general thoughts I have now. I know mm. I just kind of rambled a lot of different things, but I'm curious what you guys are thinking. Um, is it good? Is there anything that your mind goes to or anything like that? Evan, uh, your hand is up. Let's go to you. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want. I just didn't want to interrupt anybody. Um, I have two comments right off the bat. One is just um, a comment in terms of. I guess, videography and how you could possibly shoot it. But so you've used vignettes before, right? Um, those like little scenes that you can like go back to um, before something happens, kind of like windows of possibility. Um, sure. Yeah. I imagine that this movie would have a lot of like backstory opportunities into like what the characters were doing in the city. Um, mm-hmm. And so just in terms of the actual character and um, actor portrayal and design, you could have this really cool dichotomy between um, this like bushy, bright-eyed, clean, maybe yeah, either like clean-shaven or just like naive person going to the city, and you know whether that's with brighter lighting or anything like that, mm-hmm. versus yeah. um, when they're in Dark County, probably a little bit more disheveled or look like they've. 
they've definitely seen some stuff. They've done some stuff. They've got <laughs> the, you know, the like T-Ride like tattoo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the lust for blood. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> oh, so that was maybe just like my first comment in terms of um, how that would actually be shot. Um, and then the other is just a question because um, I don't know what the mid what what a Midwest vibe really is. Um, I don't know. Can I can I out you from the state that you're from? Is that is that okay? If we... I'm from Ohio. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I brought that up at some point. point. So like, I mean, honestly, so, it is interesting yeah. because I never considered Ohio like a Midwest town. I don't really a, consider Ohio a Midwest um, state. If, it, it, it's like the edge, you know? Yeah. It is the cusp. Uh, you know, it feels more Northeast to me, but I guess I was also from Northeast Ohio. But, you know, the, there is just kind of, and I'm sure, you know, you can even see this in your, you know, growing up in PA or New York or something like that. Just, you know, that that hometown kind of rural aesthetic, like that mix of suburban and rural uh, and things like that. Um, the uh, strip malls <laughs> and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's kind of kind of what comes to mind for me, at least. There might be other people from the Midwest who are like, "That's not what that means at all." But that's just you know what <laughs> I kind of think of is, is you know like mm-hmm. not you know super interesting terrain wise and you know homey. Right. <laughs> yes, Evan. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the other question is, is this more of um, an action movie than portrayal then? Because I'm I'm assuming there are going to be some consequences that will follow them back to Dark County. So is it an action movie in that sense? Or is it more of just um, a more artistic uh, drama film in that sense of them having to uh... maybe grapple with what they've done? The latter, I think. Okay. I, I I don't see it, you know, having, you know, these hardcore action scenes or anything like that. And I think that kind of makes sense if, if the character is just someone who went to the city, got a job, had to do something bad, and then came home. Unless they were like a right. black belt for, you know, most of their childhood. Probably not going to know how to do any of that and things like that. So, yeah, I, I see it, you know. More as that that drama neo noir thing with, you know, twinges of actiony kind of okay. stuff maybe. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I um, my initial thought is I I I really like that uh, portrayal. I think a lot of people could resonate with something like that. Um, the other thing is is out of, out of curiosity, one of my favorite things, uh, one of my favorite parts of the show of Ozark. Right, mm. the show where that guy's doing the money laundering and then going trying to get away from it. Yeah, but somehow, you know, they go to this new place, whether that's back home, and they and they think that they are in the clear, uh, but but now they're on somebody else's turf, or now they've entered something without realizing it, and then that although the past has is behind them, the problems of the past follow through, uh, and whether that is somebody very close by. Uh, who experienced the things that they're trying to leave and and sort of holds that person accountable or holds that person uh, like a blackmail type situation but like yeah. trying to figure out how to ma- how to make that the past really influence the present especially if 
most of the film is about the present and and how to how do you make the past so meaningful that we can actually understand the story and the emotions that the person the character is feeling i think this is a solid solid setup yeah it's but the hard part about it though is how do we create that storyline that's cohesive uh with maybe stuff that happened years earlier right yeah and i I think that that's a great pull i've only seen season one of ozark but i really liked it i just haven't gotten Uh back to it but that that is a a good call i wasn't even thinking about that but you know vibes wise yeah that that does kind of fall in line with what i was thinking um but yeah and and you know that idea of tying in the past and things like that i was actually thinking in bruges the movie that i mentioned earlier um has a lot of like things that i admire in terms of writing and pacing and things like that where they do a similar thing of uh starting the movie after the thing happens and then they slowly yeah. reveal as time goes on like what happens through flashbacks and and things like that but it's not like overdone uh or overstated Mm -hmm. in a way it's it's more subtle in in the way that they space those things out so that's definitely something that i you know am also thinking about yes evan my question is then (laughs) is um so okay i see the graph of the like typical storyline in my head you like go up go up and then and then you like hit yep. the climax and then it's a pretty steep fall to the end and and the resolution when you when you base a movie that it starts after i'm uh, right like after the climax yeah then how do you how do you build up from that or do you have to keep the climax essentially like a secret until the end and the reveal is 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 that big moment and so the movie is just the aftermath essentially like the entire time is just leading up to what has happened um, yeah yeah that, that's a that's a good question and and you know it's something that that I do think about I feel like in terms of just what what I have in my head, I think it, it basically starts a new arc, you know, of of being after the fact. Because uh, I feel like, and I've, you know, there are some movies recently that I've watched, like I rewatched Hell or High Water, which uh, you probably also haven't seen. I think it's still on Netflix or maybe Hulu, um, but it stars Chris Pine, uh, Jeff Bridges, um, another guy. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's a really good movie and movies like that and Sicario which is another good you know thriller movie where it's just you know it's tense the whole time uh mm-hmm. you know never unclench basically is is how those movies go <laughs> uh and just their ability to you know uh build tension the whole time but then that whole drop off after the climax, it's it's basically like, you know, it, it's the story is coming to its resolution, uh, you know, downward on the graph. But in terms of tension, the tension is still going up, you know, and, and that kind of thing. And just, oh. I, I think uh, that is definitely something that I I look at as I think I, I want to 
have it be its own story arc or cycle where it's, you know, it's not relying on the past to be the climax. There's still a climax in the present times, I guess. Another thing, sorry, I keep raising my hand. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Another thing you could explore then is why did they leave Dark County in the first place? Was it to escape maybe their family, their past or something like that? And so when they come home, you can maybe explore a theme of like, they still cannot escape their past. Not even, not just from what they've done in the city and that kind of past, but they can't escape the problems that they've then ran away from in Dark County. Yeah. That could possibly be the other story arc, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes another interesting point to potentially examine is that when you have two stories going on at the same time, the present and the past, as we're seeing flashbacks or, or memories and stuff, a lot of times uh, the a climax is when those collide and the past becomes the present and then the story goes forward. And, and that's sort of the, that's how you can connect everything. And yeah. I was thinking, how could you make this without it being like a, a like a, an action-y type of thing? Because obviously low budget, that's really hard to do. Well, what if, what if uh, part of this was thinking about how the the character who is normal right perceived as normal uh has ptsd or some some sort of um thing that de- debilitates them from uh acting normal and so when they're in a normal life when they come back home and 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 people are seeing that it's they, the the characters acting normal and yet every once in a while a tick or something yeah. goes off that that makes and then we can get into the mind of well this is a real problem with a lot of folks it's it's, it's real anxiety or depression or something like that yeah. and i know you wanted to talk about that and so or, or explore it in your work and yeah. i wonder if that's a great way to somehow tie it um, in that that's actually something that i had in mind specifically for this kind of thing is uh, to bring up uh-huh. Sicario again, which is a movie directed by, I believe that's Denis Villeneuve, uh, who is directing the upcoming Dune movie. Uh, and it, that's also a huge cast. It's uh, Emily Blunt, Josh Brolin, um, Benicio Del Toro. Yeah, a lot of good people in there. But there's a specific scene, and obviously no spoilers, but there's a specific scene that I just love. And it's barely the scene it's just a moment like basically emily blunt's character is coming back from just witnessing horrible out in the field uh as like an fbi or something agent and so like then she and her partner go to the bar and she's up at the bar ordering a drink and then she's just smiling talking to the bartender uh and then they go away to get the drink and then she just like stares at the wall ahead of her and then the, her face just kind of falls and then the sound design just gets like more intense and buzzy just as just her her eyes are just dim basically and then when she when the bartender comes back you know it's like oh thanks all right and go back to the table and it's just like that kind of thing that you're that you're describing of you know the the brief mm-hmm. things that nobody outwardly sees is is something mm-hmm. that I definitely want right. to want to explore a little bit fascinating you got a lot of options, dude. I'm, yeah. I'm excited yeah. to to hear how this progresses and, and how the both of us, Evan and I, can support, whether that's in the brainstorming process or or proofreading or even just 
bouncing ideas. I'm sorry, did you yeah. say the brainstorming process? Surely you meant the brain bowing <laughs> process. Uh, that's, mm. right, that's, that's right. That's a that's right. there's a real right. fan. <laughs> <laughs> During our break, we just wanted to remind you that you can be part of the show by emailing us at askwtd at gmail.com. If you have any questions for us, topic suggestions, or general feedback, feel free to reach out and we'll be sure to include you in a future episode. You can also message us if you have any writing prompts for future editions of The Brainbow or subjects to explore in our series, The Art of Things. So once again, that email is askwtd at gmail.com. Anyways, let's get back to it. talked extensively about my project more than i thought we would ad nauseum let's let's yeah. uh let's dive into what's going on in your head any projects or anything like that that you want to talk about yeah um so i'll give a quick update on the project that um i talked about last time that i was on here um this is with eric ian farmer um Mm-hmm. Uh, if you haven't checked him out yet, I encourage everyone to do so. He's an amazing musician and performer. Um, so on uh, my side, I would say I'm I'm relatively done at this point. Uh, of course, that will change. Um, but the majority of the of the composing is done at this point. Now it's being pushed um, onto the conductor who is uh, Professor Katie O'Brien, who we've all worked with. Um, Shout out. And uh, Eric Ian Farmer. So they will be um, moving forward more with it um, and workshopping it with the students and the performers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has been a real joy to work on. Um, so for that side, I am pretty much done. I may need to do some just transposing, just see what works best for Eric and what works best for his range. Um, sure, but it feels good. It feels really <laughs> good to um, be moving forward with that project and kind of just letting it go and letting it yeah. be whatever it will be. Because it's been a while. We started that like September of 2020, so it'll be pretty much oh, a wow. year at this yeah. point. Well, well nice. congrats! That's awesome. Woo-hoo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, uh, obviously. So. The way that I imagine you feeling uh-huh. is you've set now again, this is the way I imagine it. This is probably not the correct thing, uh-huh. but I have a very important email that came in on Monday and I've waited five days to respond and I've responded with all the correct information with all the right people CC'd and I just feel free. Are you me in this situation? I'm sorry. I- I'm you. <laughs> okay, I'm you. It. <laughs> and, uh, but but I don't con- I don't transpose, so I'm trying to put it in layman's terms for people who might know this feeling. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I you know I waited some time to send back the email. It's been looming over my shoulder or over my back this entire time in my head. It's it stopped me from doing other work, yeah. but I procrastinated on it. Right, and then I finally sent that good email back. Now you're at that moment where it's all off your hands. Until the response comes back, right? Until the response comes back. That is a great way to look at it. Mm-hmm. 
So, I mean, I'm, I mean, that's, I know that feels great, but then, you know, if that other person takes a week to respond, you're feeling good for a week. If that person takes a day <laughs> to respond, you're like, well, shoot. Well, and then they, and, and then they come back with like edits and corrections to the previous email that you just sent. Yeah. You're like, oh, <laughs> right, right. right. Well, <laughs> right. But, but let's not belittle the fact that this is no email that you're doing. Sure. Can you give us an update? Uh, again, maybe new new listeners um, are back on the show. Can you give us a quick preview of exactly what you were doing? Sure. Um, welcome to the new listeners. Uh, this is the best podcast on the network right now, so you've chosen well. <laughs> it's the only the podcast best on the network. Only. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, yeah, so the project is with... Um, the uh, singer, songwriter, performer, musician, uh, Eric Ian Farmer. Uh, I have arranged three of his pieces for orchestra and choir. Uh, that project has kind of spanned now into a five-part five, five um, assortment of songs. Uh, three of them are... Four of them are his own um, songs. Um, that is an, an orchestra version. Um, a solo guitar piece, um, an audience choral and orchestra piece, an acapella octet, and the finale is, of course, choir and uh, orchestra. Um, and it's been a real joy to work, work on this um, and to see it move from uh, what Eric originated, which is himself and occasionally a guitar or other instruments, to what it is now so that's the project that's yeah. awesome anyways uh evan another question and i may have asked this before and i can't remember if i haven't but do you know if you if the over the five pieces if there is a story or a a theme a constant theme that is you know uh, c- uh continues over the all of the songs and if so how were you able to continue that with your own rendition? Yeah, um, this is this is maybe speaking for myself at this moment because the three of us have talked about like an overlaying theme, um, and I don't think we've fully decided on it yet. But this is kind of what we've um, been circling around. Um, it's this idea of uh, relationship and connection. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And that's really arisen out of the theme of the three songs that I was working out of. And so their titles are um, When You Walked Into the Room, uh, Show Me the Way, and Brother to Brother. And the concert goes in that order. Um, And they each kind of go through like the first instant that you meet somebody, um, which is when you walk into the room. Show me the way, uh, showing me the way to love, show me the way how to feel, how to walk, these things like that. And then Brother to Brother is actually coming off of Cain and Abel, that story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and finding forgiveness and right. moving forward after that. Um, and, and so the overlaying theme of connection kind of arose from all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think especially coming off of you know, I say coming off of, but we're still in, uh, yeah, a full, yeah, you know, uh, pandemic and not just that, I mean, um, social, social reckoning in our country, financial inequalities, mm-hmm. you know, you can go down the list. Um, but one of the really positive things of course is connection 
um, and, and, and the human experience. So I think that's what we're going to try and re- revolve mm-hmm. the theme around mm-hmm. for right now. Wow. I think that's, uh, I'm really excited to hear it. And I'm also excited that I have the insider, like, where does the story start? How do yeah. these complement and work with each other? And hopefully in some sort of introduction to the pieces that that, that, that word, that message is brought out. Because I think with a little bit of context, the music can be just so much, so much more powerful above, you know, the, the wonderful music that it already is, right? So, uh, yes, I, I mean, absolutely. I totally agree. And I guess this is now my question to both of you then. So mm-hmm. going along with this, um, we want to incorporate some themes of um, maybe introductory pieces or bring in local poets um, or bring in other art forms um, to maybe bring this piece to a whole nother level. And mm-hmm. a part of that would be um, audience participation. And for me, I'm having a lot of trouble, and I think I mentioned this on the last episode too, of how to bring Eric's um, authenticity and organicness as a musician and creator into this new realm, a new piece then. So my question is then, how do you bring in audience participation um, and uh, just general general levels of connection between other mm-hmm. art forms um into this piece then and how do you keep it authentic hmm. and organic hmm. well it's tough because when i mean for me personally whenever i hear the term audience participation i back yeah, away yeah. a little bit i back away <laughs> yep yeah it's like i cringe a little bit yeah yeah because I mean, unless unless it's a big group and we're all doing it you know, I don't want to stick out. I'm just not that kind of person. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that's true. I agree with you on that. There yeah. are ways in which it can be good. And I mean, if if we're talking about, you know, the authenticity of the original songs and performances, I mean, if Eric is already part of it, you know, he's the one on stage, mm-hmm. I feel like that that's going to at least help because if it's you know the original person on stage you know charismatic yeah trying to bring people in in many ways that's a lot more absolutely inviting and welcoming than if it was like just the orchestra maybe you know right Right, oh for sure oh he's oh he's singing in every song so he's up there yeah (laughs) I, i wonder how how either in between songs or or in interludes or, or something where that there could be that that context whether that's spoken word poetry or something that 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 will allow the audience to just sit and be so a part of the maybe maybe the audience participation is is actually not participation rather it's at before the piece starts the five pieces it is a conscious effort of everyone this is what these songs are are about but i want you to envision how that that gives you context to your life and your lived experiences and now everyone close your eyes 
and keep them closed for the next 15 minutes over this course and the participation is personal it is it is participating without being vocal or participating without what we consider participation and i wonder huh. if i mean that's a little it's a little different but i don't know i i think that would be interesting it's it's well um you know part of part of the reason why like people maybe go to church is to you know regardless if you believe in the theology of it is to have that meditative experience in that um in that in those moments of prayer and in those um moments of just in and you know looking inside yourself intrinsicness um you you participate in something that is larger than yourself right? right um and so that's interesting that like by not participating and to be self-looking in this experience, you're actually contributing to a larger community experience right. then. Huh. You know what this makes me think of? And this might not be helpful to your cause at all, just because, I mean, I'm not sure what avenues of audience participation you're looking at. But it makes me think of uh, Inquire. And we would sing in the round, which was basically where the choir would come out off of the stage mm-hmm. and just surround the audience for these slower, more introspective songs. And it allowed the audience to be more in, I guess, in the zone of the song as opposed to looking mm-hmm. up at the choir on, on stage. You know, the choir comes down and they're just dispersed amongst everybody. Uh, and you're kind of more in tune with what's going on and you're really listening more than you are when you're just watching someone perform on stage. And so just the, mm-hmm. I, that idea of kind of not literally not being above someone as you're performing, you know, right. just the idea of being amongst everybody, I, th- I think is a, is a powerful thing that is similar to what Nate's talking about of, you know, participating by not participating and just being there and listening and things Mm -hmm. like that a lot to think on yeah (laughs) i think people are also comfortable choosing whether to participate if if participation isn't visual or isn't something where someone like perhaps jacob who doesn't want to feel like a sticking out from the crowd uh, doesn't feel that way because the last thing you want to do is make somebody feel uncomfortable. That the whole point of this is not to feel uncomfortable, unless, unless the story being told by the music is supposed to bring up uncomfortable feelings. Which I don't know. I, I that would be something to think about, right? It is. I would say. I would say not in this case. Um, I think especially what we're trying to go for um, is one maybe continuous experience and so i would be worried then that to force somebody to participate would really kick them out of that experience you're in it for the long haul (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs) this is uh i think this is awesome i I, you're gonna definitely have to tell us before the concert what you plan on doing you know oh oh for sure um you know if the producers would allow it, I'd even be open to come back sometime later in the show and give an update for that as well. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk, we'll talk to the with producers, the producers. But yeah. 
Yeah. We'll, we'll talk with the higher ups. <laughs> the higher ups at the network. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Well, I, I'm I'm sure you're feeling really great about the project. We're really excited to listen. We're super stoked that you're here talking with us about it. Uh, because it's been months since you first told us when you started and, and how that was going and, and now you've sort of finished that first, you know, hard weeks and weeks of work. Dude, I can't express how um, grateful I am to have worked with. First off, to just have worked on this project um, has been an absolute joy. But to work with really creative and inspiring um, professionals. You know, if we want to talk about mimetic desire, you know, if that's who I want to, like, imitate and try to mimic, I'm okay with that. Right. That, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these these are like pros. Um, really, it's it, it has just been a joy. I, I can't be thankful enough. Mm-hmm. But awesome. I will be honest, there were a lot of moments in that where I would procrastinate. So, Ooh, wow. <laughs> just like that. Unprecedented that a guest is the one who tries to transition <laughs> us. Yeah, I'm a little insulted that you don't think we had the guts to do it, but I also appreciate the modesty. No, no, no. I didn't, you know, like, obviously, I don't want to, like, overstep my, like, place place or anything. But as, <laughs> you know, as as the director of marketing, you know, I thought that I was okay <laughs> to do it. <laughs> a nice self-promotion. Yeah. But yeah. So, I mean, so Nate obviously uh, hasn't talked about a project, but... We'll make sure that he's in the hot seat next time around we do a project therapy. Yep. Uh, so actually, because of that, Nate, why don't you kick us off with your definitely not procrastinating? Sure, sure. Um, yes, yeah, so I've been reading a book, uh, among other things. I've been reading a book, um, I believe, let's make sure I get this right. I think it's called American Buffalo. Uh, and this book, actually, I'm only halfway through. It's It, it pretty much tells the story of somebody... Um, the, the author, Steve Rinella, Rinelli, I think that's his name. Anyways, he's got a show on uh, Rinella. He's got a show on Netflix called Meat Eater. Anyways, he, he's um, talking about this hunt that he has uh, for this buffalo. Uh, and he's telling the story about it. But I'm only halfway through, so we haven't gotten to the part where he's, you know, got the buffalo but the first half is fascinating to t- to hear the stories of the buffalo or the bison right and and how they once roamed the great plains and then they were pushed around and moved around and actually physically uh, carted to different areas it, actually it's really sad but it's very similar to how uh we pushed and moved a lot of um, Native Americans or indigenous people and, and moved them to reservations and, and moved them around. They did the same with these these buffalo because they're these huge animals that can uh, tear apart farmland and, and destroy farms and, and are, can be can be quite dangerous uh, because we didn't leave them alone, right? We were in their space. Anyways, it, it tells of how buffalo were put up into canada and and into into you know further west and then and then put into different reservations and stuff uh and that's how these um animals were spread out and of course it it, the buffalo is on i think it's the dime or is it it's either the dime or the nickel if you look there's a there's a buffalo and it's imprinted on um one of our one of our you know currency so it's like part of the american 
currency. It's American as it is. Uh, it is just fascinating. So I'll I'll get I'll read the rest of the book and I'll tell you how it goes. I'm pretty sure he gets a buffalo. Um, but but <laughs> but for those who don't who who don't like hunting and stuff like that, just know that there is like a four percent chance that anyone gets. Uh, and I don't have these numbers correctly, but there's a really low like a four percent chance that any hunter will actually get a chance to hunt a buffalo. Right. And so and so the numbers that are being hunted are minuscule. Uh, and it actually tells a story of something that was very American from when they used to just hunt buffalo. So, I don't know. We'll get to it later. We'll see how it goes. But it's a huh. good book so far. Didn't um, I mean, like, how do you feel that he like gives the history of this um, iconic American megafauna? Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. which I'm pretty sure Biden gave, like, Putin, like, a glass, like, statue of a bison. Am I wrong in thinking that? Oh, I don't know. Um, don't you know, know, if any listener out there wants to send a, a real, like, correction in, you can definitely yeah. correct me on that one. <laughs> um, but, like, how do you feel about, like, hearing about the the history and the annihilation of them by a guy yeah. that's going to go kill one? Well, and that's a, that's a really great point. Uh, I think, I think there's a, I mean, I know there's a lot of, uh, like conservatism, uh, conservation, I mean, of, of uh, hunters are some of the best conservationists and it's just, that's full heartedly. I'm not, this isn't propaganda or anything. I've done my research cause this was the first year that I've hunted and, and the amount of money and time and effort that, uh, specifically hunters give back to the earth is without them, the earth would be dramatically a different place drastically. Yeah. And so, and so I think that the best hunter actually goes through and looks at the history of these animals, how they once roamed this way, actually giving, giving credit to where credit's due and, and really understanding the story behind what these animals, where these animals were, what they were, and it's just pure luck that he was drawn to to have to get the tech, right? Yeah. And for him to be able to do that, I think the best hunters do exactly what he did. The people that take the time to do the research and to tell the story and then publish a book so that people like me can read about how the story of the bison or the story of, like you said, this American icon, uh, how it, how it once roamed in in thousands and thousands and now is minuscule compared and 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 but but how why are we still allowed to hunt and were we able to grow the population back and the answer is yes well i am definitely interested to hear how how the book goes and i might even yeah. look it up myself so that's yeah. cool huh. cool cool nice. what about what, what what about you then evan what what are you what have you been procrastinating or not procrastinating on oh definitely procrastinating on um I've been watching a lot of the uh, That's Cringe videos by Cody Co. If you guys have watched those, they're fantastic. Love them. Um, but my real one is uh, this book I'm reading right now. It's called Middle Sex uh, hmm. by Jeffrey Eugenitz. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey, I, Jeffrey, I know you're listening. I'm so sorry that I mispronounced your name there. Um, but it won the Pulitzer Prize in... 2002 i think and it's the story of of um so the protagonist is uh intersex which this is the first book that i've read that a character is is intersex and it goes through um 
their like family their like family genealogy and their uh, Greek immigrants that migrated to the U.S. in about 1920, and they live in Detroit. Um, and I usually don't really like reading this stuff. I'm usually not a big fan of this, um, but it's great. It's so good. Oh, it's such a good novel. Um, and it's that level of historical fiction where you're like, oh, I don't know if this is not true or not, but it sounds really factual that it's probably true. Um, and there's a really stark moment where the narrator's um, grandfather got a job um, at the Ford factory in Detroit. And he had to go to an English-speaking school, and at the graduation ceremony, all of the different uh, immigrant workers um, went on stage uh, initially in their uh, cultural uh, like clothing, and so he went on in like a traditional like Greek attire, and they all went into this big like cauldron titled like the Ford English Academy like melting pot, um, and then they all come out the other side in like blue and gray suits. And it's right, it's this hmm. it's this weird imagery where you're like, oh, that does not <laughs> uh, that doesn't sit right, man. That yeah, mm -hmm. so it's great. I highly recommend. And again, I'm I'm also not very far in it. I'm only like 150 pages in, but hmm. it's it's super. Nice, wow. Jacob. Um, have you been procrastinating at all? Always. Um, so this past Sunday, I went up to a theater and I watched a movie called The Green Knight, uh, which Whoa. is based wow. off of a poem uh, from like back in the old Sir Arthur days. Uh, you know, it's a poem. There's, I actually watched a video about it after I watched the movie where apparently the poem, there's only like one copy of it and no one knows who wrote it. So it's literally, you know, like oh. uh, written by Anonymous. Um, and so it's interesting. Uh, and it's produced by A24, which, I mean, it's weird to have an affinity for a film distributor, but they distributed a lot of movies that I really like. <laughs> um, and so, obviously, I was in, you know, beforehand, and it has a good cast. It's Dev Patel, uh, Alicia Vikander, Vikander uh, Aaron Kellyman, who is in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, as well as Solo, A Star Wars Story, um, Sean Harris, uh, Joel Edgerton, a lot of good people. Um, but it's based off of just this poem from Arthurian legend. Uh, and I was a little nervous going in because I feel like a lot of those, you know, poems and things like that kind of have this more just linear story structure. There's not really, it's more of just the moral of the story is as opposed to this is the arc and development that this world and these characters went through. But it took that structure that the poem is written in and turned it into something that is, you know, just super interesting and thought provoking. Uh, it's a slow burn, but it's, it's, you know, something that that's worth watching. I, I really liked it. Um, it's something where I, I left the theater and was like, I think I liked that, but I just need to think about it. And then the more I thought about it and actually tried to digest what I just watched, I was like, yeah, that was a really good movie. So the Green Knight. <laughs> Do recommend. I, I think I like this, but I'll need some time with it. 
<laughs> that's always the best movie. Yeah, yeah. It's like I definitely appreciate the work and and like visually what I just saw, but uh, but just digesting all the story beats and, and things like that and imagery and meaning and yeah. Again, a poem that is um, around six hundred years old, um, if if not more. Yeah, and people are still able to adapt it and make something new with it. Yeah. I think that's the that's the most interesting stuff to adapt is all that yeah. old stuff. Well, watch for my um, midwestern LA noir take of uh, what's something that's really old, Beowulf. Beowulf. <laughs> well, I think this is a wonderful time to continue on the conversation and tell people where they can find you if they want to. So, Evan, where can people find you? It's good. I'm not laughing at your handle. I'm just laughing at your (laughs) handle. You can find me on Twitter at NateUlrich16. And I am at JacobYesFac on Twitter. What a great Twitter handle. Thank you. TallBoy64. Where'd you get that one? All right. (laughs) Well, thank you for joining us once more, Evan. You've officially joined the two-timers club, along with Jacob. It's a... It's... It's an exclusive club to be in. You know how like SNL has like the five time hoster club. It's not that yeah, exclusive. I was just thinking we should get jackets for five timers on our show. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Well, it was a pleasure. Looking forward to talking with you soon, Evan. Yeah. Till the next time, my bros. <laughs> Till the next time. Thanks for listening. Write That Down is produced by Nate Ulrich and Jacob Novak. Music for this podcast includes Answered by Katza and Dream 13 by Punch Deck. You can find links to both artists in the description for this episode. If you'd like to be a part of the show, you can email your questions or topic suggestions to askwtd at gmail.com. Once again, that's askwtd at gmail.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.